0: So we swing back this week to talking to amazing orthopedic surgeons. We have Jim Williams on, who's an orthopedic surgeon, sports medicine specialist, who's recently retired from the Cleveland Clinic, has a very rich history of the amazing time he spent taking care of patients and his love for sports medicine, took care of the Cleveland Indians as well as the the Cleveland Cavaliers and just a a lifelong member of the Cleveland Clinic and just has amazing stories. We also talk about some new technology that he's a part of. He's the the chief medical advisor for LaserRite, who has developed one of the most unique, coolest medical devices to come out in, in literally years. It's called the ArthroFree, which is an arthroscopy uh, camera that has its own light source that requires no wires, and you can actually visualize and take care of patients. It has far-reaching implications with the technology that's been developed by the founder, Eugene Malinsky, Mark Froimson, who's a... Uh, you know, absolute leader within uh, the medical industry as far as startups as a part of the company and has been from its earliest days, and they're just about ready to be able to hit commercialization. It's a great episode. I know you're going to love it. Hashtag follow the fro. This episode of the Ortho Show podcast is brought to you by Modbed envisioning a world where the orthopedic software we build increases practice success and improves patient outcomes. ModMed offers an intelligent ortho-specific cloud platform of healthcare IT solutions that help surgeons and staff save time, drive efficiency, and elevate patient experiences. To learn more and see a demo of the number one EHR system, EMMA, as well as practice management, revenue cycle management, analytics, patient engagement tools, and more, Visit modmed.com slash orthopod. That's modmed.com slash orthopod. Modmed. It's about time.
1: From Medical Media, this is The Ortho Show.
0: Hello world, Dr. Scott Sigmund, your favorite opioid sparing orthopedic surgeon here for another episode of the ortho show podcast, where we bring you the best of the best in the orthopedic space. We are shifting back to what we do the best, better than anyone. And that is to tell the stories of amazing, unique orthopedic surgeons. Uh, Today is no exception. We have Dr. Jim Williams is an orthopedic surgeon, sports medicine specialist who has recently retired from the Cleveland Clinic who is the chief medical advisor for Laserite, which is an outstanding new innovative company, which I'm thrilled to talk about. And uh, here we are. So, hey, Jim, how are you, man? Thanks for being here.
1: I'm doing great. And thank you for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure. So how are, you? are you still up in Cleveland or did you move down to Florida somewhere warm? No, we're in Cleveland and it's uh, raining pretty hard here with snow on the backside of it coming.
0: Yeah, that's just the way it is on the lake there. That's for sure. You guys get a lot of that. So look, what we usually like to do, Jim, to start is just get a sense. You know, I looked at your your CV and your educational background, and it looks like you you took a little hiatus after your time, you know, at Middlebury before you decided you wanted to go to medical school. But just, you know, where were you born? What were your thoughts? Was medicine something early in your life or did that some that come along later?
1: Yeah, I was actually born in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. My dad was in undergrad at University of Pennsylvania, and then we moved to Buffalo, where he did a general he did med school and general surgery residency. And then we moved back to Rochester, where my mom and dad were originally from. Yeah, Yeah, please go ahead. And then uh, what's interesting is that I'm actually fifth generation physician. So my dad was a general surgeon. My grandfather was one of the first neurosurgeons in the country. And then there were two GPs going back to almost the Civil War before that.
0: That's unbelievable. Five yeah. generations of Five physicians. Years. That's amazing. Do you have any records from from your, your relatives in the Civil War and their actions and things?
1: No, no, I don't. But huh. uh, it's just... It's it's a phenomenal story. It dies with me though. None of my I, I work too hard. My kids didn't want to work that hard. So I'm the last
0: generation. <laughs> you're the last generation. Well, you never know. I think with some with a history like that, someone is gonna there'll be a, another one that's born that's gonna pick up the torch, I'm sure. That's awesome. So so you're so you're at Middlebury from nineteen seventy-three or so. So you're about you're you're sort of late 60s then because yeah. I'm, I'm late 50s so you're about 10 years ahead of me i went to tufts tufts undergrad so we did not see each other we were about a decade or so apart but uh middlebury is still an amazing school with a great uh, great education and uh as has always been and then so but it looks like you weren't 100 percent
1: sure on medicine right away i mean where, what did you do for a few years yeah it was interesting um Pre-med was tough at Middlebury, and uh, it was the hardest time in the history of medicine to get into med school back then, and uh, it was either when I got done, it was either go get a master's in cell biology, you know, and try and get in the back door to med school or to do something else, and I'd been very involved in sports for a long time, so I, I ended up going back to Rochester and coaching football and then got involved with skiing locally ended up from there uh, coaching at Burke Mountain Academy, uh, going to a uh, U.S. ski team development camp in um, Oregon, and then being asked to help out with the ski team in the summers, And, and so that was a phenomenal experience, and then I continued to compete and take some educational courses, and then I had a son, and that changed everything, so I went to University of Massachusetts, got a Master's in sports studies, sports management, thought about opening a you know, a sports academy versus going and getting a PhD in exercise science. And I thought, well, if I'm gonna do that, I should just go to med school. So went back and finished all my pre-med requirements at University of Rochester. And all the courses I struggled with 10 years earlier in college, I totally aced. So it's just that maturation process. And then I got into University of Rochester and did med school there and then went to Brown for my orthopedic residency and then Rush for my sports medicine uh, orthopedic fellowship.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. In Middlebury, what you you mentioned, right? They say that you know medicine is recession proof. And that was some pretty bad times in the 70s, right? That's Jimmy Carter and Long lines at the gas station, 20% interest rates. And uh, so everybody's just running away from all of the financials and heading to medical school. So it was hard to get into. That's interesting. But then, you know, it's also a great story about, you know, if you're really determined about wanting to do something, you mature, you know, and then all of a sudden uh, those classes and things really become easier. What a great story that you actually then able to, you know, fulfill your destiny to go to medical school and beyond. You know, it's interesting. So I was laughing at, you know, we've had Jorge Chala on, Brian Cole's going to be on pretty soon, and Nick, Nick Verma's going to be on too. And I'm thinking, all right, so you did your your fellowship in 94. You know, Jorge Chala, I think, was riding a tricycle at that point. And then I'm not sure what Brian and Nick
1: were doing. Who was there in 94, 95? Well, it was Bernie Bach, who just retired. Uh, was the head of sports there for a long time. Chuck Bush Joseph, who had done noise fellowship. And then uh, Tony Romeo was in his uh, first or se- second year, I think, um, there. And so I had some phenomenal uh, teachers. I mean, they each had their own gifts and special talents. And uh, I was going to stay with them. And then one of the hospitals helped to or threatened to pull out of their system And that's where they were going to put me. So that all fell apart. And then the Cleveland clinic, uh, you know, came into the picture and I went there and it's been a phenomenal experience. I I got the chance to take care of a lot of high schools, a division three school, uh, you know, be an assistant team doc for the Cavs and the Indians and just cover the gravity games and U S skating championships and U S gymnastic championships. So, you know, it was just an incredible experience. I, you know, Gave me a lot of opportunity.
0: Yeah. And then, and then you really, you you lay your roots down, right? You're there for, for, for decades, really being able to establish yourself. And, you know, it's funny about Tony, Tony Romeo has been on, on the show for us as well. And, mm-hmm. and that story reminds me of Neil Elitraj, you know, when I was doing my Curlin Joe fellowship out in, in 95, 96, you know, Neil was a third year attending, you know, working with Dr. Job. And we got to do a lot of great stuff with Neil because he was really cool to the fellows. And now he's like a big shot at the Super Bowl, you know, taking care of everybody. But you know, it's always uh, you know, it's again the 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 teachers, the mentors, the people that you meet along the way that and then and then you do the same, right? You become a mentor and teach and be able to pass on the knowledge you have as well. It's one of the things that we love, 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 love on the Ortho show. So you know so so shit you you're with Chic on the cleveland indians he's he's right. a character right you worked with him for for years. you got some good stories for us, taking care of the Cleveland Indians there's got to be a couple of good ones in there
1: no the the Indians are a pretty incredible organization uh, they just that's probably the the best story. They tend to hire really good people at, at all levels, and they're always trying to get better I mean it's a really really well run organization for a mid market um Sports uh, team. And so I learned a lot. The things I think the things I learned the most about taking care of uh, baseball players is that they play every day. So you can't train super hard every day or you'll break down completely by the end of April, beginning of May. And so they train, and that helped me with patients, and especially patients as you get older, the consistency. Is really key because you'd see the kids go, they come in at 18, drafted straight out of high school. You know, they'd be, you know, six feet tall, 160. The next year they come back, they're now six feet tall, 170. The ball is hit another 20 feet farther when they really connect. And each year they put on like that five or 10 more pounds of muscle. And it's just that consistency every day, whether, you know, whether it's the specific training you're going through, but in in particular, the stretching and taking care of your body. That, that really. And that helped me with, with patients in particular to convince them that they at 50, you didn't have to lift like you were 25. You know, as long as you were consistent, you could get really strong and stay strong.
0: Yeah. And, that, and that's really, really profound, right? Because at the end of the day, you know how many kids are on the on the Cleveland Indians, right? There's, I mean, obviously you take care of the minor leagues too, but it's not a large patient population for you. Your your patient population is is normal people. You know, it, it's the everyday people, whether it's the high school kids, or the you know, or the college, but. But also, you know, the accountants, the lawyers, the, the carpenters in their 40s. So you take those principles that you learn, you know, from the amazing medical staff and process of, of treating professional athletes, and you allow that to trickle down to your patients, and you can really, you know, help a lot of people. So at the end of the day, that type of training is really very valuable.
1: Yeah, no, it was, it was just the approach that the Indians took, whether it was medical staff or the administrative staff, and it was also Just seeing that if you compete every day, and that's what the average person does, they go to the gym every day. Well, you you can't just lift super heavy every day, or you're going to break down. And especially as you get older, I mean, you've seen it a million times where you get that guy who's in his latter 40s, who's been the big guy in the gym, and all of a sudden his shoulder goes. And you tell him, well, you can't be the big guy in the gym anymore, because you're just going to keep beating yourself up. He doesn't listen to you, he comes back now he blows a knee out, you fix the knee and by the time you've operated on two or three times he finally realizes that yeah I need to back off on the heavyweights I need to do more aerobics.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah no that's why we do knees and shoulders left and right we want to be able to take care of those patients across their entire continuum you know, I can, I can speak for myself. I mean, I'm 57 years old and I've got, you know, grade three Hamada osteoarthritis to my right glenohumeral joint with a huge loose body in there and like a little loose body in the biceps groove. But at the end of the day, you know, I gave up the stuff that was causing the pain and discomfort. I was a big gym rat earlier on, and now you just sort of get around and get it done. What about, uh, so you took care of the calves too. What's, what's the biggest difference between the baseball players and the basketball players?
1: I think it's a a little different in the basketball players because from a young age, they're taught, they're told how great they are. And then they get on these AAU teams and they're continue to be told how great they are. And then they go to college for a year or two or some don't even go like LeBron was here the first time when I took care of them. And um, so they never had to work their way up through the system. Then, the, you know, in baseball, most everybody goes through the minors to some degree. You hardly ever see somebody get drafted and immediately end up on, you know, uh, the major league roster. So I, it humbles them, I think, uh, a lot more. If you've ever been the first year I t- helped take care of the Indians, I went to every one of the minor league teams uh, throughout. And we had seven teams at that time. And boy, you go into single A short season and it's a aluminum shed is the locker room with wooden locker, you know, plywood lockers and metal chairs on a cement floor. There's nothing glamorous about that. So even though they got the, you know, million dollar signing bonus or whatever, um, they're humbled. And so by the time they get to the major leagues, I think they appreciate uh, that opportunity to a much greater extent than the basketball players that come straight out of college or straight out of high school and go to the pros.
0: Yeah, no, it's pretty remarkable. I'll I'll never forget uh, you know, one of one of the comments from from one of my curlin joe professors, you know, <laughs> he's like, Scott, when I first started off doing this and taking care of the Lakers, I had a nicer car than than the NBA players. He's like, that's not so much anymore. The world of you know, professional sports and the way they get paid and the agents and the entire process of, of uh, the nurturing of these guys all the way through. It's uh, pretty amazing. So, you know, it's not, it's great. It's high profile. It's, it's great for your ego. It's great for your, you know, for the, for the wall to be able to say, you're doing all these things, but it's a, it's a very demanding process as well. Your cell phone's available for trainers and for family members. And, you know, you're doing all these things that you can for as many people, but at the same time, you again, you take all of those values and things that you've learned, and then you take care of regular patients, too, and they're so appreciative of, of what you can do for them, for sure. So let's talk about what you're doing now, because I think it's, you know, it's pretty cool. Here at the, at the Ortho Show, we're always, we're big fans of innovation, and I can tell, you know. For a long time, there wasn't really a lot of innovation, right? I mean, I can tell you the arthroscopy tower that I use was purchased 10 years ago. It's got pretty much the same stuff that's going on now. The newer towers have some new bells and whistles, but technology was always really slow to sort of work its way in, you know, to the operating room. Now we have robots that are happening. We have artificial intelligence. We have virtual reality and augmented reality for training. So there's a lot of really cool new things that are happening Uh, And you're with a company called Laserite, which uh, I am fascinated by, and I've been able to watch how you guys have been coming through. I've had the opportunity to play with it earlier uh, this past year. And uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about the company, what it's about, you know, what you guys are really doing at this point and and what we anticipate moving forwards?
1: Yeah, it's actually uh, actually fascinating. Uh, uh, Eugene and Ilya, you know, Malinsky and his brother, the CEO, uh, came to me in 2014 and they said, um, you know, we've developed a novel light source. Do you think there's a a need? We think we can build a wireless arthroscope. Do you think there's a need? And Scott, just like today, I started laughing and I go, are you kidding me? That's all my OR team and I have talked about for the last 10 years. So, I mean, we're going back into the early 2000s that we were already having that discussion in the OR about why don't we have wireless. So I was very impressed with them, and I believed in them. And so um, I said, absolutely, I'll do anything I can to help you guys. So that was the end of 2014. And then 2015, we actually took the light into the uh, uh, cadaver lab at the Cleveland Clinic, and we tested it. And we found that it worked, and we could generate as much light as we want. Then it took a number of years to, uh, you know, ultimately develop the wireless, all the software, ha- firmware, all those things, and then to get a prototype. And so the fr- first prototype that I actually used, and you can imagine, and I know this is coming. So the wires are bothering me like crazy in the OR, all the the, the light cable and the power cable, and it was. And the nurses knew it was coming too. So they were, you know, I can't wait. It's a pain in the ass to plug these things in. And, you know, I'm always worried about the field getting contaminated and I have to worry about patient fires and burns and all this stuff. So um, the very first one I used in a cadaver, you know, it had latency issues. The image quality wasn't spectacular, but I turned to him and I said, I'd use this tomorrow just because it's wireless, you know? And then they went back and they, they, you know, it's evolved to now where the image quality is just unbelievable. We've had it up against everybody else's and, you know, it's fantastic.
0: Yeah. Well, let, let's back up. So, you know, we'd like to let make sure that the listeners know what we're talking about. It's so not everybody's an orthopedic surgeon. So, so when we operate, right, this arthroscopic surgery, we use a camera and we have these little mini cameras that we can put inside of your knee or your shoulder or your wrist, and it goes up onto a TV screen and it has all of these components, Right and and you just think about it, it's like your, it's like your AV system in your house, right? You got the cool TV, then you need the amplifier, then you got to have the Xbox, and then you got to have the speakers. And then you got to, so all of these things have to come together with that mishmash of horsetail wires, you know, that go along, whether it's in your basement, watching the Super Bowl, or if you're in the operating room, taking care of patients. And so the concept is, you know, we have these, these supercomputers, these, you know, these cell phone things that we use every day in front of our hands. Why is all this cool technology not working its way in? And now you're talking, which is even more remarkable. It's 2022. This is now eight years ago when this first starts. So that what I want to talk about is because we we love the idea of innovation and how you get involved in that. So, so how did Eugene and his brother Find you in 2014 and say, Jim, you know, we want to work with you on this. How how did that relationship start?
1: Uh, actually, it was interesting. I had to pin them down to find out how I became the, the the person they came to. And they said, well, we started asking people in the community, you know, people that we knew. They're well connected in many different ways because I think Eugene had already done four different companies uh, at that point and. They said, you got to go see Dr. Williams. He does more arthroscopic surgery than anybody. And so, you know, because I thought it would just been maybe Mark Freimson who had said that, but they had heard that from numerous other people. So I guess the fact that I was doing a lot of arthroscopic surgery, obviously doing a good job and obviously approachable that that made them come to me at that point.
0: And And it's interesting, right? Because I've been involved in some medical device development and patents and things like that. One thing that that certainly can't work it's like NASA you know trying to build a spaceship or a jet plane you got to have a pilot, right? You can't just have an engineer build something and expect that it's going to be viable, useful, and practical in the hands of the actual person so so combining you know the expertise of an, a, a master arthroscopist with a brilliant engineer and designer, you know, you can come together and and overcome these things. So again, for the listeners, the concept of what what, uh, Eugene and yourself, Jim, were working on was to take the camera that we use to look inside of your body into these joints. It typically has a wire that goes to a box that has a fiber optic light that comes into it that then goes up onto the TV screen. And there's a bunch of wires that are necessary to have that communication all happen. So your device has its own light source, which... As we all know, is a laser. And I have so much, you know, appreciation for laser for ortho laser and all the things that we're doing. So we have that so much in common. So there's this laser thing inside of it. And then it can communicate digitally without a wire back to the box so you can see the image up on the screen. And it seems pretty, you know, why not? Right? You should be able to do that, but it took a long time to get there.
1: Yeah, I'll talk a little bit about that. The the hurdles are. Uh, heat is the biggest hurdle. So we current, you currently use LEDs, and it generates about 400 watts of power, and that at the tip of the light cord can generate 192 degrees centigrade. So it, it can burn through a sheet in split seconds. You never put your finger next to that. You don't put your finger at the end of the lens because you can burn it also, so that was a big issue. Eugene actually tried to make it wireless with an LED and he couldn't. The, the handle of the thing got too hot. It melted some, of, melted some of the parts and battery life was minutes. I mean, in a couple minutes at the most because there's just so much energy consumption. So he had to go back and reinvent an entirely novel light source. And, in, in, you know, it's funny, he, wa- he watched somebody trip and fall in the OR and shatter their wrist over the cords and cables, and he said, I got to fix this. So then he goes back and he figures out a way to make a wireless uh, camera uh, system. But in doing so, he develops a light source that's 15 to 20% more efficient than LED lights. And we really are just beginning to figure out how much more efficient we can make it so, it basically uses a laser to project through a um, disk uh, filled with phosphorus, you know, in- interspersed with phosphorus. And we've got patents on all of these things through 36 and 38, I think it is. So, it's well patented. But they had to come up with a special light source in order to do this. And the light source, in and of itself, has tremendous ramifications. Imagine that you could light a Amazon warehouse for, you know, 15, you know, 15, reduce your efficiency by 15 to 20%. You know, uh, 16 to 18% of all energy costs are lighting. So you reduce that by, you know, 20% more efficiency, that's an enormous sum of money. So, you know, deep water undermine. Well, Deep water mining wants it uh, because the LED corrodes under underwater. The automotive industry wants it because fifteen to twenty percent means that much more battery life, so you get more miles per battery charge. I mean, it just goes on and on. Aerospace—you you could just list all the different industries that would want this. But we have focused on getting our wireless arthroscopic camera arthro-free to the market. That's really where we need to start with, and then we can do other things with our light engine. Sure,
0: right. you got to have a product that's commercialized that will generate revenue that can help to then sort of uh, help to streamline and be able to, to, to push through these other what sound like amazing potential applications across multiple, uh, multiple areas. But, you know, it's not good enough to just have a, co- a, a, a test pilot and, and a super smart engineer. There's a lot of super smart engineers and test pilots that got together that still didn't finish uh, and have had failed, you know, ventures. So how did the kingmaker, you know, Mark Freumson get involved? You know, Mark's a good friend at this point, And he is very passionate about, uh, you know, helping startup companies, early investors to be able to help get them, you know, to, to have whatever idea that they have to get across the finish line. So you need people like Mark, you need money you know, and you need patients.
1: So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. You, Eugene uh, knew Mark uh, from some other interactions and they started talking a little bit and that's how that all evolved. I had, Mark was a partner of mine and actually the president of the hospital I was working at, one of the clinical clinic hospitals, was asked to take a different job. And I called Mark and I said, Mark, you got to come be the president of this hospital. You'd be fantastic. So we had a very close relationship also. And he's just been great. Mark has a great way of listening to everybody and all that's going on, staying emotionally out of it and then coming, helping everybody come to the consensus. So he was a great choice. And then he also, he had... uh, after he was president at our hospital, he went on to be VP of a big, huge hospital system. And he just gained a lot of insight through all of this. And then he started, uh, do, you know, consulting. And um, it's just been uh, really phenomenal. They brought a great board together. We have a very, very strong board. And if you have a very strong board, it's unlikely that your company won't be successful. So we're, we're really, really, really excited with this whole thing. Going back to the technology a little bit for a second, you know, the first arthroscope was 1912. It was actually a cystoscope that somebody stuck in a knee. Borzini, I think, was his name. The next major disruptive technology with the arthroscopic camera, which McGinty was the one who actually designed that, and that was... 1975, I believe. So you had a 50 year gap or, you know, uh, more than that, 60 plus years. And then now 75 to 2022, we're going to see the next disruptive technology, a wireless camera, which, you know, is it's a game changer. Once you went to a cell phone, you were never going back to the landline. Once people start using this wireless camera and they just everybody who uses it on a cadaver, just they get done and they go, oh, my, you know, the cables, I don't I I just it makes it so much easier to do this. Yeah,
0: I mean, you guys are, are the prettiest he, she, him, her at the dance right now. And, uh, you know, I had the pleasure for uh, for one of the large medical device companies, you know, to be able to, to play around with it. And it really is very impressive and uh you're just you're just all the talk and uh you know you're you're close at this point if i'm not mistaken to getting across the finish line with the fda or i should say the start line which is what we usually say how far how close are you to the fda and when do you think we're going to really be able to get our hands on this thing
1: yeah we submitted the end of uh, december so it's usually a 4 to 6 month period so we're expecting somewhere between april and june and we uh, they did something really special they hired a company that had a lot of ex-FDA people on it that still are. So they kind of took us through the whole process and what we needed to do. And they have a 95% first pass success rate. So we're pretty confident that this thing will be on the market come April uh, to June at the latest. So, you know, Anna, maybe AOSSM, certainly. Um, That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, And it's funny. I mean, we have a
0: lot of, you know, these conversations on the ortho show with amazing inventors and what really seems to to be happening at this point is that your experience with laser over this decade, you know, process to get where you are is very common, right? The large medical device companies, are sort of staying out of the, the development of this technology. And they allow they allow the smaller companies to do their thing. And then when it's right for commercialization, they come in and gobble you up. So I don't think there's any doubt the Smith and Nephews of the world, the Strikers, the Arthrex, the the MyTech and DePuce Synthes are all carefully watching and waiting to see when this thing gets out there. And I'm sure you guys are going to have some amazing opportunities going forwards.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. You know, we we won that ACE Award, except accelerated cutting edge award at uh, AOSSM, and that really put us on the map. A lot of people knew who we were at that point, and I think that's where we met you. And you did the little podcast right by our booth that day.
0: <laughs> I mean, we take full credit for this stuff, Jim, you know, because yeah. if you remember, you know, Kevin Rocco was there for BioRes as well. And so for Biobase he won the award as well. So we joke around. And then three weeks later, he got FDA approved after the show. So we're
1: like, we're really responsible for all this, Jim. You got to be throwing yeah. us some more show love. No, you know? Absolutely. You guys were great. Well, you gave us your uh, Scott Sigmund Award for, <laughs> I did. I for innovation did. at that <laughs> meeting. But um you know that was fascinating the the judges who came up to judge they could tell the the enthusiasm that we had the, the belief we had in the product they saw the you know the the value and all three of the judges wanted to invest in the company i i mean that doesn't happen every <laughs> no, day no that,
0: that's true you that's know it, i'm sorry so go ahead we,
1: then we went to AAOS. And we were basically the talk of the exhibit hall. So the, you know, the, one of the reps for the other companies would say to one of the other company reps, you should go over and see these guys with the wireless arthroscope. So all the reps from all these companies kept coming to our booth. And it was fascinating because they were absolutely, they, they saw the value in it right away, but they were also scared a little bit. But I would ask them, if you had this product, would it be easy to sell? and they would all just smile and nod their heads. They wouldn't want to say it out loud, but yeah, you know, it's, it is disruptive and it it is going to change the industry and it's going to help people all over the world. I mean, that's the thing that, that I like about it. It's going to bring arthroscopy to parts of the world that have never seen arthroscopy before based on its wireless, you know, uh, capacity.
0: No, completely agree. And so Heather Hoover, who, um, who is our producer, I'm sure she's getting inundated right now with direct messages from companies, small companies that want to get on the ortho show so we can help them to explode too. But, you know, in all seriousness, you know, Jim, I think, you know, you know, when you get to the point of of, of when you're going to finish your clinical career, right. You've been a physician, you've been caring for patients on a daily basis for, for you know, 20, 30 years. How cool is it to be able to sort of step into a role like this where, I mean, a lot of people would just head out to the golf course and just say, you know, I'm done. You're probably as busy now as you were when you were in clinical practice with the explosion of this product. is It has to be quite gratifying.
1: Yeah, it's um, it's absolutely fascinating. I-, I knew that it was the right time for me to start working with these guys. I, I felt very strongly that-, that I would add a lot of value to the company and they really needed uh, my um, level of expertise in my contacts and everything else the thing that's different about it is you n- number one it's an incredible product that for me it really it's about getting this out there i mean i've invested twice in the company and in, in the first time i invested because i believed in eugene and his brother and i wanted to see this product come to market the second time i invested I wanted absolutely to make sure this product came to market. So I was investing to make sure it would get there because I knew, you know, we get into this because we want to help people and we help people locally and maybe regionally and maybe even a little internationally by the the conferences we go to and the talks we give and the papers we write and stuff like that. But this had the potential to impact people all over the world And, and who wouldn't want to be involved in that? But the creativity in this is just phenomenal, and the experience that you and I gain by taking care of people of all walks of life and having to be able to communicate with them uh, on a daily basis, and then being in the OR and having to be creative because everything's, you know, no two surgeries are the same – Those skills have really, really helped me in this new uh, job. And I am absolutely thriving on the creativity and the personal interactions. And um, I'm learning tons. It's been just an incredible experience. I I feel blessed every day that somehow they wanted to be involved with me because this is just a group of young, super bright, uh, energetic group that there is no, we can't, it's, we're not looking at it the right way. And it's just every day, it's that way. So it's just phenomenal. And we're small enough that we can be mobile and nimble. Um, You know, as you said, the big companies are not interested in R&D, they'd rather let other people create stuff and then, you know, gobble them up. And that's fine and dandy. But uh, it's been a lot of fun. I, I, you know, I thank my lucky stars every day.
0: Well, we can hear the passion in your voice. And one of my favorite themes on the ortho show for many of our guests is, is the passion and desire to be able to help patients that you'll never meet with a, with a technique or or technology that's going to influence the world. So I really, I sense it, you know, I think this is amazing. I've been able to watch you guys come along. I really hope the best, you know, it's really been a pleasure having you on the show, Jim. And, uh, that we, we love the ortho show guests for their passion, uh, for their stories, uh, for their innovation, and uh, you seem to, to fall into all of those categories.
1: Well, I give you a lot of credit for, you know, having a busy practice and, and having a podcast and trying to get, you know, different words and messages out there on a, you know, almost daily basis. I mean, it, it's remarkable. I, you know, I certainly couldn't do that it takes a special gift to do that. And I'm just glad that you're out there uh, bringing the word to people and, you know, doing what you can to help people in society.
0: Well, can't thank you enough for those kind words, Jim. This is Dr. Scott Sigmund, hashtag follow the fro, host of The Ortho Show. Until next time.